I'm Dave Monaco, Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to From My Angle. Well, Dr. Turner, it's good to see you. Thank, Thank you, you so much for being as gracious as always with, uh, with your time and uh, joining me on the From My Angle podcast. Glad to have you here. I uh, appreciate it. So, uh, 33 years mm. as a president of a university, first university of Mississippi, and, and uh, since 1995 here at Southern Methodist University right here uh, near Parrish. So I wanted to come to you to speak about uh, the world of higher education at first, not specifically uh, about SMU per se, but uh, the landscape of higher ed. It's a challenging time uh, as we look at a future where uh, there are disruptors coming uh, in the model and price and affordability is a, is a big challenge. So you know, as you look out, uh, 20 years from now, 25 years from now, what, what, are, you, what are you and your colleagues talking about uh, as the big issues um, prevailing in the world of higher education? Well, I think if you use higher education in the broadest sense, uh, it's more and more important for uh, high school graduates to get some higher education, mm-hmm. whether it's in the community college, right. whether it's in a technical school, or in something else, because uh, just the advanced technology of things is going to require people to have more and more specific skills yep. that are not just manual skills. There will always be manual labor needs, yep. but, but the number of them is certainly decreasing with automation and robotics and all those sort of things. Right. So uh, I think higher education in general, knowing that, that what I just said is true, yeah. I think you find higher education kind of in the crosshairs between the far right and the far left. And uh, you have cost issues and so on. on on one side, and then you've got accessibility issues on the other, and so in between, uh, you've got an, uh, a whole industry, let's say, of higher education that is kind of caught with uh, increasing costs and the fact that that uh, specific intellectual skills and specific uh, kinds of, of uh, skills that, that the country needs, whether right. it's in engineering or in business or whatever, <clears throat> is in higher demand, so that means faculty, the best faculty, are, the price farm is going up, and what they need, particularly in engineering, is going up, uh, but yet you've got this pressure on, on accessibility. So I think most private schools like SMU they are going to make it are schools that can help students uh, financially work through all of that. We tell people all the time that don't assume you can't come to SMU because of financial situations, because uh, check it out. You yeah. know, we don't have the endowment to cover every uh, high need student's total cost, but uh, we find ways for them, if they're willing to participate too, for them to come here. And then we tell a lot of students that uh, just because our number of applications is going up that you may have to take another path to get here. We have to say when you can come, but you're the one that decides whether you get a degree, whether you go to community college and transfer in or whatever. So I think what you're gonna see more and more of is pressure on high school students to get something extra. And then in higher education, trying to make people understand that it is accessible Mm -hmm. and that uh, there are opportunities there. And that no matter whether the institution has a high rank or not, getting a college Get degree anybody that gets a college degree on the average is going to make much more in a lifetime than somebody who doesn't so yeah. making that understood among like your parents For i sure. think is crucial yeah and, and i and we'll come back to that i i, I have some inter- i have some thoughts that i'm interested to hear your action on and on um, the timing of the college degree, alternate pathways to a life right. of meaning and purpose, even around a college degree or, or marrying other 
mechanisms to get certified or credentialed. Right. And we'll come back to that. So back to the back to the pricing issue. You know, if, if I have a parish parent who's a pre-K uh, student now, has his pre-K student now, uh, that that young uh, little little boy or girl is going to head to uh, university 2033, 2034. Most cost projections are that a private university at that time four years will be. Three hundred twenty-five, three hundred thirty thousand dollars. Even a public university like uh, where my son goes, Texas A&M, or uh, or University of Texas, could be as much as hundred thousand dollars over the course of four years. At least the list price, right? Yeah. So this is a price. this is a daunting this is a daunting consideration. You mentioned a little bit around these price considerations. What 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 is what is the discussion about uh, price and cost control? Do you think there's any lever out there that can be pulled? besides raising money for endowment to support financial aid that uh, colleges and universities will be able to deploy? Or are you just thinking that the price is going to continue to rise for colleges uh, and universities in the future? Well, if you get a traditional on-campus residential kind of experience, right. I think it will <coughs> always inflate either at, at uh, inflation or a little bit higher, usually yep. 1%, 2%. I think what you've seen is colleges really ratchet down their increases in intuition to mm -hmm. try to get more in line with an inflationary. We used to have, you just expected a five uh, percent increase in tuition per year. And now we're down in the threes, and yep. a few schools are down in the twos. And so private higher education is trying to lower the costs, and it's very difficult so internally. We've done a budget reallocation that was very difficult to yep. try to streamline some things that. Uh, uh, had been able over the years just to grow up independently of each other. So shared services and various things like that. So higher ed, all of us are really Trying. working to do that. We, we hired Bain to work with us mm. for about two years to make sure that we could stream it. And so we pulled out about $20 million to use that for uh, higher education, new areas of emphasis at the university. And so you'll see more and more of that. It's Some very modulation, but it's not going to go away. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, you know, for private schools like Parrish, we've got the same issue. You do. You know, because essentially as a tuition-bearing school, as I explain to our parents all the time, you know, 70% of our $30 million budget is, is humans. And you mentioned how expensive it is to get high-quality faculty here, yeah. right? There's a, a, a competition really to get the best people. Yeah. And so for us, the the really uh, the, the only levers that we have uh, are, uh, are around uh, uh, essentially how many students we put into classrooms. And in our model, families favor smaller class sizes, oh, which yeah. means more faculty members, right, per student ratio. And which so, is what we do, too. I mean, yeah. our number is 70% is tuition based of our $600 <laughs> million dollar I know, it's a similar, it's a similar, it's a similar model, similar just much and, bigger. And, you, and we have, uh, with a challenge the board gave me in 95, the goal was to get better, not bigger. Mm -hmm. And so we've had to come into this without increasing the student. We're still about 11,200 students right. overall. So no new revenue from more fannies in the yeah, seats. 6, yeah, 6,300 undergraduates yeah. and 4,800, 4,900 graduate students. Right. So, so how are we doing that? Well, we're looking at a lot more continuing education and degrees online and various things like that that will generate new income for the on-campus academic programs yep. uh, because what you've got to do is find <clears throat> ways uh, to do in, uh, increases in income other than tuition. Uh, certainly private giving is the core of it. New revenue sources. trying to find new yep. revenue sources. Yes, and frankly, if uh, you know, the, the upside of 
the increase in, in interest rates is that your operating cash earns you more. The downside is that it buys more if For inflation sure. follows that. So, I mean, so, it buys less, excuse me. So it, it's, a, it's a difficult conundrum, but at the same time, the overall commitment is to make sure that students have an opportunity uh, to get a college degree. Yep. And, uh, and that's, again, our commitment to families that are admissible, that, uh, you know, that's we'll what we'll try, try to do. Try to make it work. So if 20 years from now, cost uh, for, for a college, higher ed, uh, private or public, is probably only going to modulate, not necessarily mm -hmm. um, become more affordable. Let's talk a little bit about what the experience might be like, right? As, as uh, the world of work changes, as uh, the world continues to globalize, as technology, as you mentioned, uh, uh, comes into play here as as folks look at value and they assess value uh, around things such as work readiness not necessarily the robust robustness of a philosophy curriculum or a history curriculum how might the uh, as you and your colleagues and peers then provost talk about it nationally how might the four-year brick-and-mortar collegiate experience in terms of a curricular experience uh, credit hours majors what shifts do you see, if any, coming over the next two decades in, in that regard? Well, I think in the world of work, you're going to see, as you were alluding to, more certification mm. and uh, certain skills certified, not so much degreed. Yes. And so there are a number of areas where that could occur, and, and community colleges certainly will do it. We, we do a number of those things, and we'll be doing more just in terms of people getting additional skills. Yes. They have to. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, the that value. creates new revenue sources yeah. for you too, because you can work in that space right. of the of the eighty year of essentially the eighty year learning cycle for individuals from twenty two to right. seventy two. Education you, for a lifetime. We we mm -hmm. intend to expand it far beyond the the traditional age yep. uh, residential yep. uh, student. But the the history of civilization would tell you that you need more than just the basic skills mm -hmm. and learning the lessons of history, learning the lessons of of the best thought in the world, appreciation of what humanity's been able to develop and when it hadn't, what it's done to itself yes. and others, I think are lessons that you have to make sure that an educated person has. Yes. I've been glad to see that after about 10 years of attacks on liberal arts mm -hmm. education, mm -hmm. that you're beginning to see more and more uh, articles by people saying, you know, if you'll just look five to 10 years after a degree, a liberal arts graduate has learned the business or whatever else they need and are, are doing as well as the non-level art, the technical, yes. engineering, business, and so on. Yep. And b because the idea is, of course, you get a broader perspective <clears throat> and supposedly you learn how to logically think and mm -hmm. so on. Mm -hmm. I had a parent who wanted their son to be an engineer. He came in, tried it, great student, A student, 30-something ACT, and he didn't like engineering. And so the parent was very distressed about this, mm -hmm. and I said, what is he interested in? And the, the parent said, he is interested in philosophy. Very disgusting. Be, right, and I said, really? I said, wasting his time. What does right? he think? Is he interested in math? And they said, interestingly, he's interested in philosophy and math. I said, I'll guarantee you, if he'll double major in philosophy and math, mm -hmm. you will not have to worry about him being ready for the work world. And Correct. when he graduated, he had all kinds of offers right. because these companies would say, you know, we can't teach him that, but yes. we can teach him what we need yes. in these, this particular area. Yes. And so thoughtful preparation, I think, and an understanding that, that wor the world doesn't 
get defined by the first job at age 22 or 23. Yes. I think it helps parents and students prepare for a longer haul for a, a university like ours. And again, not the residential four-year kind of university is not for everybody. Yep. And I think that's getting clearer. You do not have to do that to, have to get a, a college meaning, degree. Right, or to have a life of meaning and purpose. Yeah, to have a life of meaning and success. But, yeah. but it is, <clears throat> and I think you will always see, it does prepare people for success in ways that uh, are quite significant. Well, I'm sure you've seen the, the recent uh, reports coming you know, from Google, for example, with their Oxygen and Aristotle reports. I mean, these, these elements of the soft skills, multidisciplinarity, uh, you know, essentially being able to see systems and see concepts uh, you know, in, in various contexts, uh, the ability to work with other, with other human beings and get things done mm -hmm. through people. Uh, these are a lot of the skills that are in demand. And I know when I look back to my experience at uh, Small Liberal Arts School Hamilton up in, in New York, I think the pressure on the, the liberal arts programs is going to be to marry the best of what you describe as sort of the um, learning for learning's sake learning for an appreciation of history's lessons and for the value of humanity uh, with uh, the, the power of connectedness to, for example, the resources in your case of a city of Dallas, right? right. Where internships and real world application experiences uh, are, really, are really in play. And I wonder too, if, if 15, 20 years from now, maybe a lessening of the uh, sort of teacher or professor directed instructional style of of courses might alter as technology enables uh, changes, right? And, have more and, blended kinds of things, right? More blended experiences and maybe more project uh, or application-based work, right. which allows students to work uh, more in groups and uh, in creating uh, concepts and creating projects, which demonstrate their creativity and the collaboration. Those skills again that the world of work is demanding, right? And and we are very much trying to move in that direction mm -hmm. more and more, and uh, people do that are interested in coming to SMU do have in their mind it's in Dallas and that Dallas is dynamic, Dallas is no growing, question. there are a lot of yeah. opportunities, yeah, no question. kind of the future is here. Yeah. So about 60% of our students come from out of state yeah. and about two thirds of those stay here. You bet. So they are, they, we're importers of talent yep. as I tell. I don't know how many community. times, but I'm around the community yeah. and I'll ask, I'll ask somebody to tell me their Dallas story. Yeah. And uh, rarely are they natives, you know, it yeah. seems. It seems like everybody you meet yeah. come from somewhere else. And so many times, you know, as well, I came to, you know, I came to SMU, I came to graduate school at SMU and just ended up staying because obviously the opportunities are, are really, are really robust here in the, in the, in the community. Yeah, and I tell students who are here, <clears throat> as you well know, that, that if you, if you want to get away, you can get away. But if you think the grass is greener somewhere else, you're wrong. Yep. Grass is not greener anywhere, yep. more so than it is in Dallas. Yep. And so... We, we have a lot of transfers of sophomores who, who went away yeah. <laughs> that we had maybe admitted but just had to get away and right. then they come back after recognizing yeah. it and start up their sophomore I, year here. I know and of it, a parish, uh, par parish class of, uh, of 2017 just last year who, who went away and is uh, eager to come back uh, and, and be back here home. I remember having our first luncheon here in 2009 when I first got to, to parish. You're one of the first folks I came in and met with that fall and, and you said, you know, uh, if you can come to SMU and still feel like you're 500 miles away from That's home right. if, you, if, you, if you like it. So, yeah, uh, in fact, every student, we've gotten to where now, every Dallas student that we admit, we send them a letter that has the 500-mile contract <laughs> on it that says, you'll act like you're 500 miles from home and your parents Have your will. parents who commit because to it. Because once they move into a residential commons, they and their parents will say it's like they're 500 miles from yeah. home. 
And then after a while, all that issue kind of fades away. So last point on the sort of future of higher ed, kind of the things that I'm wondering about. I think um, if I were sitting in your seat or a college boardroom, I would be concerned about disruptors. You know, Mission U is out there now, for example, offering a year of education in some of these very soft skills we've talked mm-hmm. about and a very hard skill set of skills around data analytics. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're offering that for a year. And uh, it's got powerful partnerships in the last quarter of that year with uh, Silicon Valley startups where kids mm-hmm. are getting out and having this opportunity to go build skill and apply skill. And then once they get that job, uh, the first three years making $50,000, then Mission U gets paid 15% of that, but the mm-hmm. experience of that year is free, right, mm-hmm. for example. And so you're beginning to see some of these emergent disruptors, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm also curious about corporations. Amazon's just hired away. Uh, Stanford's um, expert in, in, uh, uh, in adult learning and, and technology-based right. learning, right? Are corporations going to get into the business of um, degreeing and, and certifying and credentialing young people of raw material strength who just don't want to come pay a university for credits that they feel are yeah. essentially not uh, not moving forward. So if you were to if you were to say to me um, in my conversations nationally with college presidents, board members and provosts, the level of concern about disruptors to the model, is that level of concern high, medium or low at this point? I, I think it depends on who you're talking yeah. to. I think if all you are doing is getting a, a four-year degree, mm-hmm. then it's going to be very disruptive. Mm-hmm. If you're basically dealing with people who mainly are looking for a vocational skill, mm-hmm. then the, the, the disruptors are going to be very powerful. Yep. Uh, and that's why you see four-year residential schools like, uh, like SMU uh, working very hard to make it a total experience, a, li- a, a living learning environment so that you're doing more when a kid comes here, a student comes here, they're getting more than just that credential. Mm-hmm. If all they need is a credential to get a job, right. then then these kinds Other of opportunities are gonna happen. Right. And I think who that's gonna affect more than anybody will be the uh, academic side of, of uh, community colleges. Yep. And I think it's gonna affect uh, four-year institutions who really don't have uh, anything beyond the degree and the credentialing, and you see a lot of private school, small private schools in small areas right exactly. now really are struggling. really struggling yes. because they can't do the internships yes. that you and I talked about. Yep. And so, coming here, you've got all of those experiences. You got four years of it. You've For got sure. a network. Yep. And one of the big things we also sell is is the SMU network. That if you have a degree from here, the SMU network of alumni and so on give you Very a great powerful. opportunity yeah. too and particularly in, in places like Atlanta and LA and yep. others it doesn't have to be just Houston doesn't have to be just to be in Dallas sure. so I do think they're going to be very effective and they're going to be um, really cataclysmic yes to some institutions but I think closures and consolidations right. are on that horizon in the oh, next they're already two happening. years they're yeah, already happening they're already it'll happening. be you know again very regionally driven I think mid-Atlantic to the northeast I think some midwestern areas again as you suggest rural uh, smaller um, some of the faith-based uh, Catholic and other colleges are having some struggles having and so real struggles. it's going to be interesting to see how that how that uh, how that and plays there's so out. many little towns that the idea when colleges were created was to put them out in the country where they wouldn't, the students could be alone yes. and study and yes. not be perverted by the yes. sins of the city. Yes. And so as a result, you've got so many of these little, particularly church-based schools, like you say, in the Midwest and Northeast, and kind of in the Mid-South, Virginia, in that area, that are 
are really going to have a hard time. So net net for parish parents, you know, listening, especially those that have a long runway until they get to college, I think monitoring and watching affordability, looking for colleges and universities that are marrying the robust, rich connectedness of a kind of classic education with uh, with life prep, with skill prep for the world mm -hmm. of changing the changing world of work, with this holistic development of the young person on a campus environment or that social element that's also a part right. of this. These are things to watch and monitor to know that probably the 100 colleges or so that are your, your most robust, uh, well-known, as SMU is, that sort of desirable locations are probably not going to get shuttered too, too much by this, but are going to have to be have to be creative in terms yeah. of how they continue to evolve their programs around well, teaching and learning, merge majors and uh, robust opportunities to customize. That's going to be part of it. But I think the whole idea of customization is a big piece. Um, dual majors, yes. cross-disciplinary kinds of things, where those are the ways that we're really working now. And, and you know, uh, as, as I hope your parents know, Parrish is really at the lead in working out relationships with universities yes. and businesses and other kinds of things that help not only address the learning needs of students while they're in K through 12, but also start educating them and pointing them yes. toward opportunities. Because, I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do until I was a sophomore in college. And so, you know, the idea of, of, of having more experience, because I grew up in a little town that, yep. you know, you can mow yards or right. haul hay or work on the, on the highway. And so those were about the things you could do in the summer. To get your skills ready. Yeah. Yeah. And the kinds of things that are possible yep. here. And so I think for parish parents, they need to be honest about their kids. Mm -hmm. You know, a four-year residential college is not for <coughs> everybody. It may be that student needs to do one of these programs where yep. they get a certification and skill and get to work. Yep. But uh, for many others, you know, it is. And, it, and there are a lot of, of opportunities, uh, you know, for big state schools. I tell the parents all the time if they're trying to decide between here and UT or here yeah. and A&M, yeah. I just say get a freshman class schedule, go down there and spend a whole day like as if you were a freshman, go come here and spend a whole day right. as if you're a freshman. And the experience is so different, you're going to know which you're one you're going. You're going to know going. if it's a fit for you. Uh, yeah. But you're right, state universities are going to continue to get more expensive because legislatures are not funding them. Everybody's got funding issues. Yeah, er, you know, our, our, the percentage, the percentage yeah, of yeah. state universities yeah. that have tax money in them, now that percentage is just going down, Absolutely. down, down. Same, again, to parallel your world with mine, I mean, the, the public ISDs here are, are, are equally challenged with where right. the revenue's coming from. Absolutely. You know, we're concerned about how much we're asking parents to pay. Uh, they're concerned about how much the state is, is going to allocate to them and, and how much demand they have yeah. for their product. So it, it's there. I do think, uh, you know, this notion of will, will universities and schools, Stanford riffed off a, a model on this a couple of years ago where essentially that four years of learning could be deployed at any point in time for a young person. So if you want to come from 18 to 22, fine. But if you want to come from 18 to 19 and then go off and then come back and do some work from 23 yeah. to 25, you know, I think there's some really interesting models too that, uh, that may emerge, yeah. right, that break the notion of May to, I mean, August to May, four years, right. 18 to 22, as the only way to ultimately get a degree from a, oh, from a university. And right? more and more students are doing that. Yeah, no, just breaking you know, away. Just go yeah. away for a year or two and then come back and finish it up. Finish it, it up, yeah. yeah. And there, and the, we try to put <clears throat> more opportunities together for study abroad and various things like that. For and, sure. And to get where students can see a bigger world. So you mentioned the power of partnerships, and of course, 
you know, as when we sat down in 2009, when I first got here, this is a, a big impetus of it. Uh, you know, we wanted to, to start building a relationship with the university in, in robust ways. And, and uh, for us, as I think it is for you, and I'm interested to hear you reflect on it, when you talk about the value proposition you deliver to your constituents, right? This notion mm -hmm. of being connected to organizations that can amplify what you offer right. by what they bring is hugely, is hugely important. So in the last, uh, you know, nine years that uh, we've been working together, um, you know, we, we've been the first school to partner with the Bush Library and to bring programming mm -hmm. to, to our students and to bring our students to the library for, for work there. I sit on, uh, on an advisory board of the Department of Educa um, uh, Educational Policy and Leadership at Simmons, and Simmons has been a tremendous partner um, for us in the birth of the Center for Transformational Leadership, which is working with 10 independent schools in Dallas to right. build leadership capacity among our adults. The Lyle School of Engineering and the um, K-12 Maker uh, design uh, efforts that Katie Crummick has led is being directly uh, involved in our creation of a new time model for our for our schedule. And the Center of Research and Evaluation, Ida Simmons, which uh, does evaluative work our parents are familiar with, uh, channel all our parent mm -hmm. surveys and our alumni focus groups and all mm -hmm. the rest. So there are four like significant and substantial ways that uh, through our partnership with SMU, uh, what we can deliver to our families is is enriched and, and, and made more robust. So and you have students too that come to the, the Heart Global Leaders Forum. Tate, and the lecture, Tate series lecture series through our Academy of Global Studies, absolutely. So be, beyond the partnerships with Parish, talk in general about how you see community integration and community connectedness is so vital to the SMU mission and to the experience that your students end up having right. here when they come. Well. We're more and more uh, pushing the community involvement and interaction. As Simmons, of course, works with West <coughs> Dallas in ways that are unique in trying to bring together all of the groups that try to help yes, the uh, underrepresented mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and economically disadvantaged students get a better degree, get a mm -hmm. better experience, have higher aspirations. Right. So we, we have a lot of involvement with that. But we also try to get our students out in, in not only social service areas, but again, as we said, internships and various things like that. Mm -hmm. But we, we uh, give them opportunities to do consulting work. Our advertising program, our communications program uh, does work with Southwest Airlines and helping them develop uh, advertising programs. So there's community, just uh, a corporate part, the corporate partnerships, the corporate partnerships are, are huge yeah. for you in terms of getting yeah, as well as the, as the community. Yeah. We, uh, Mayor Rollins knows that uh, we are really sort of at his call in terms of when he needs things to be uh, to have partnerships to work with uh, to address certain issues in the city we're there our involvement with uh, uh, Trinity Forest Golf Club was as much getting us a place to play as the city was just uh, imploring us and basically saying we've got to have a university down there with this course and so on and it'll help tie SMU to South Dallas and and it's got to be bigger than just a course for the Byron Nelson yes. and so Literally, we That's talked you, a lot about it. That's you, the city, Momentus, yes. are, are among the players in that yeah. particular oh, effort, The right? major ones in AT&T AT is a huge yep. part of it, yep. obviously. And so, and then we've got the program for minority students to teach them golf and all of those kinds of things. And so we, we had already set up another place to play, but we kind of changed that to be a part of that. And so... And, and uh, you know, our part of it is $6 million, which we're still raising. <laughs> Not so it wasn't a charitable organizational move, I can tell you. Yeah. But it was one that we felt like was important for Dallas. And, and as the Byron Nelson moves there this fall, I mean, the spring, and more and more people are aware of it, yeah. I, I can tell you within the Dallas City Council and so on, that's going to generate a lot of 
opportunities for us, uh, SMU, in that part of the city and, and contributing to the city that wouldn't have existed otherwise. So yeah. you really have to be aware of what's around you yeah. and be as committed to it as you can because, I mean, SMU was created by a partnership between the Methodist Church and sure. the city of Dallas. Sure. And both of them uh, put up what needed to occur for it to be here yep. with an understanding that we would meet the needs of both. And we yeah. tried to for 100 years. Yeah, a wise mentor of mine once, once said, you know, the question ultimately as a steward of an organization or an institution that you should ask yourself is, if the institution went away, who would care? Mm-hmm. Right? You know, and it should, it, the answer to that should be beyond the students and faculty who work on your campus. Right. In other words, that call that that, that mentor said, really put before me, which I've tried to live into, and, I, and you're obviously doing that here, is that uh, the institution has to have an outward face. Right. You know, and it has, to be, it has to be relevant to those beyond the ones that pay for your product. Right. So for us, mm-hmm. we just hosted, you know, 60 right. schools this past weekend with Perot Museum for the first Lego Robotics competition. You know, we don't have to open up our campus to do that. Right. But from our perspective, we should. Yeah. Right. We have Sense a responsibility. responsibility. Same as you yeah. there. You, yeah. you didn't have to go to uh, uh, allocate six million raised dollars for uh, the, the project in, in Trinity Groves. But uh, you, you should. Yeah. As an institution, yeah. see as, ways as to give Dallas, back and participate. Right? And and so you just you just do it. Yep. And uh, have that as a commitment. And in the meantime, when you're it, what that does, our partnership with Dallas World Affairs Council, who brings speakers to us, a work upcoming with Austin College to bring Julia Lathcott Hames to our campus. Like what it ends up doing, though, is for your community that's here, there's enrichment as oh. well. You know, and so it's, it's not it just both ways. Dallas. Oh, it, absolutely, the benefit goes both ways. Yeah. One other thing that we're newly working on is the whole concept of cultural intelligence. As the world gets more and more diverse, mm-hmm. we're developing a curriculum and a program for the whole institution to basically teach people from very diverse backgrounds about each other. And that's just not teaching whites about all minority groups, but teaching all the minority groups about each other and whites too. Yeah. So we've got units, we're developing units on everything. Oh, fantastic. Dr. Maria Dixon Hall is developing it. and so. <clears throat> We've come a long way with that, but we want people to know in a few years that by the time their student leaves SMU, yes, that an additional benefit of their coming here is our kids are always known to be able to work in groups and to have high social skills and so on. But the idea is that that now will transfer across all ethnic, religious, social, yes, cultural competence. And so the yep. whole cultural competence aspect. So it's a big we're spending a lot of time on that. Yeah, and that's a whole nother, a whole nother podcast on what's been, I know for, for us at Parish, uh, a challenging issue of how to bring diversity and inclusion work into our campus community in ways that unify rather than divide. And right. uh, we, again, we, we are just a microcosm of what the higher, yeah, ed, higher ed campuses across the country are facing around free speech zones and, and all the rest. So I don't mean to pull you into a digression on that, but I think it's a fascinating topic, and I suspect you, like I, and my colleagues as heads of school have really been struggling with the answer of how to achieve that goal that you oh, just yeah. articulated yeah. in ways that don't that don't tear your community that don't tear your yeah, community apart. Yeah, because diversity right? training generally has not worked very well. Right, it, it does divide people. It makes yep. people angry because yep. there there are uh, all kinds of dynamics that go on into who's to blame and who's to bless yes. and so on and so forth. And this is a whole approach is an educational approach and it's modeled after a program that hospitality workers association has developed because the most diverse employment group in this world are hospitality workers restaurants hotels and so on and so they have worked up a pretty good approach to try to make all of their 
their United Nations more united. And yep. so we are starting there, but developing, expanding it into higher education and so on. And we're very excited about it. We think we're doing, some people say, well, when are you going to try it out? We're going to try it out by increments when we think we've got it right. <laughs> right yeah. And every time that we do a pilot work and so on, not just on campus, but off campus and too, go back and refine come it. back and refine it. And uh, because if we can, if we're successful, it'll be a unique kind of scalable, uh, scalable for and, sure. And and that's one of the issues. There are too many things that are not scalable. For for sure. And and sounds like that's another area for me to investigate for a possible partnership with the university. So well, gonna... once we get it done, we <laughs> yeah. will want to. Okay. And, and and we will. It, it will be important because we only get what you send, and so it's important for us to work with you that what you're sending here is compatible and that our expectations are what is here yeah look at the end of the day uh, as we tell our folks at, uh, in our community um, we've got to figure out a way to do this work that brings everybody to the table we are in our mission statement says an inclusive Episcopal yeah. community number one but our students are leaving our relatively sheltered parish environment and they are going to go to a college or university where these conversations around inclusiveness difference cultural competence are taking place and they are at this point taking place in rather heated terms on college campuses sure. so the more our kids understand that uh what they're going to walk into uh they need to be prepared to engage in hopefully productively yeah. uh, you know that's a part of what compels us well to the, the fact work. that you're concerned about that as you know i call you about a lot of people that move in yes so sure. often they're minority executives that yes. don't know much about dallas and they're looking yeah. for a place for their students yeah. to be that would be accepting to them, even yes. though they know they'll be in a minority at a school. And so Parrish has, the, the, the people that you've admitted, you know, and so on, they yes. have felt like that at least there was a voice there and there was an interest in Parrish to make a diverse community where all the students can thrive. We and I think it, yeah. you and your parents and your teachers ought to be commended well, for that. Thank you for that. So uh, kind of wrapping up, you've really hit on some great themes here over the course of uh, the, the conversation that you're excited about at SMU, but if there are one or, one or two things uh, in particular that you wanted to highlight as, as present points of, of excitement or engagement about SMU that you'd like the parish community to be, uh, to be aware of, what, what, would you, what would you like to put forward? Well, we obviously continue to be as good as we can be in liberal arts and business mm -hmm. and fine arts like we've, like we've been in engineering. But we are really focused on in, uh, enhancing the advanced computing mm. uh, uh, infiltration of all majors. We now have a supercomputing facility down behind the tennis center oh, that, nice. that is the 20th most powerful on any university. Mm. We're recruiting faculty that use big data and advanced analytics. We now have 13 master's degrees in, uh, in data analytics themselves. We've got, we're gonna move the Gill Hall from uh, Plano down to here in a couple of years because it's work with Simmons, yes. the Avatar, yes. all yes. the work of the Guildhall. Mm -hmm. The Guildhall, by the way, is our digital games program. Yes. And uh, Princeton Review rated it the number one uh, master's program in the country in, in that whole area. And so it's work with Meadows and Simmons and engineering just requires it to be here. So we are, we are really excited that, that Gerald Ford has given us uh, a big gift to get a whole a research center that'll be around this. The Guild Hall will be in it and all the Amazing. advanced computing things and our AT&T virtualization center and those kinds of things, visualization center, excuse me, and those kinds of things that we really are excited about moving in those areas. And so for the next four to five years, I think a lot of newness that you'll hear 
is going to be in that area. And all of that is to augment what we already have. Business is certainly moving in that direction. Yeah. Engineering will be strengthened by We're hiring a number of faculty in digital humanities in which the things they study is, is based upon uh, big data. Like if you're doing research in Shakespeare and everything's online right. and you want to do an analysis of a particular word yep. or, or a certain phrase or how you, you go to a big data situation yep. and you just, it's that fast. And that's that marry of essentially the old world and the new world yes. uh, on, on, this, uh, on, this, on this hilltop right, right here Absolutely. At, uh, at SMU. So anyway, so, we're excited about that. Yeah, as you should be. Uh, I appreciate your friendship you. and over this last almost 10 years and uh, again, your graciousness and let me uh, come down here to the hilltop to see you. So thank you for uh, being a great friend of Always Parish. glad to have your students here. Thank Thank you. Thanks again for listening. Look forward to future editions of this podcast, which will feature my speaking to the community in the chapel space, some of my writing, and also, as in this edition, my visits to colleges and universities during this school year. 